Welcome to the Performance Health Podcast. My name is Tim Karen. Today's topic was negligence and ignorance. Our guest was Neil Paduzzi, the head strength conditioning coach of Lovett High School in Georgia. Neil was fantastic. Neil brought a ton of insight into examples, things that he's done himself, things that he's seen himself in the world of strength conditioning. That, you know what, quite frankly, you know, should be evaluated at a higher level. But he also went into some aspects that we need to evaluate as well as when do we need to appropriately make a decision that's really hard. I can't tell you enough how much I enjoy talking to Neil on this subject. Neil brought an incredible level of transparency and honesty, and I think you'll really enjoy it. As always, check out PH Podcast to go through the module that corresponds with this, and I will see you guys on the other side. All right. What's up, everybody? So we're going to go over negligence uh, versus ignorance. And today we got Neil Paduzzi. And Neil and I go way back. Uh, we used to work together at Georgia Tech. I actually interned under Neil, uh, Neil and Coach Eric Ciano. So uh, I have a whole gambit of working with Neil in terms of being a like young, uh, very negligent and ignorant coach, uh, which is perfectly fitting right now. And Neil definitely was really good about correcting some ignorant behaviors that I may have. Uh, and and then I went on to become an assistant working with Neil. So, uh, and then Neil actually went on to become a head role at, at Georgia Tech, but I won't steal too much of his thunder here. Uh, Neil, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself and talk a little bit about yourself. Hi, well, my name is Neil Paduzzi. Um, I've been a string musician coach for almost 20 years at this point. It makes me feel like I'm old. Um, started off with an internship at Arizona State under Joe Ken. Worked with him for about five or six months. <clears throat> Learned a lot, but probably the longest five or six months of my life. Then uh, he kind of helped me, got me into University of Tennessee, did a GA with Johnny Long and Eric Ciano, also did my master's degree there in uh, biomechanics and sports medicine. About February of my last year, Eric took the head job at Georgia Tech. Towards the end, May or so, he had a position come open, third assistant job with football, working with women's basketball. And I actually defended my thesis on the car ride from Knoxville to Atlanta to start with him. Worked there for about a year and a half, and then the head assistant for football left. Damon Harrington went back to Louisiana Tech to be the head guy there. So I moved up and took his spot. And then oh, five years down the road, six years down the road, Eric left and went to the Buffalo Bills. Moved up and took his spot as the director of string condition for Georgia Tech. Was the director for two years, and then left and took one of the military jobs. Seemed like a good idea at the time. <laughs> well, I was there for two years. Didn't really enjoy my time there. So moved back to Atlanta, where my wife now is uh, from. I've been in the high school setting for, I guess, the last five years now at two different two different schools. Currently, I'm the director of strength and conditioning at the Lovett School, which is in downtown Atlanta, Georgia. Awesome, man. Uh, I had Jason Bangucci on last 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 uh podcast uh and we talked about being formlessness um and you know being adaptable to the environment and you know one of the things i think is interesting about you know cociano and looking working with him is he's extremely consistent right like we know that we're going to do a very similar program very very much a year in year out to a point where he's meticulous on hey neil you coached this drill on this day this time last year you're going to coach it again today uh, and we were talking about with Jason of like, I can only imagine what it must have felt like when, you know, you had a guy like myself who interned under, you know, Ciano and then got a guy like yourself who GA'd under Ciano and then became an assistant and worked up the ranks of like, yeah, you're pretty entrenched in whatever that like rack assignment you have or whatever mm -hmm. that drill or station you have or like your role, you know. And, uh, and one of the things we talked about was like essentially just how do you like build up rapport and build up timing and like, and Jason was like really actually great about this like comment of like just assimilating to the environment and like doing the program and uh, I thought that was really cool uh, which you know just brought up a little bit of memory lane there uh, but you know transitioning from obviously multiple levels like working in college multiple places like Arizona State Tennessee Georgia Tech uh, being in multiple levels or intern GA a coach or then transition to the military and now high school like are there any areas that like you're researching that's you know one you can go through the whole gambit of all those experiences or two something that you're doing really like currently like to accentuate your position right now 
you know, currently, given our situation, I spent a lot of time on kind of our return to play and what that might look like whenever we get back. Um, I don't think we're going to be given, hey, you'll be back in four weeks. You got this many weeks, and then this start. I think it's probably going to be Friday afternoon. Something's going to be put out. Hey, we start practice on Monday. Let's go and making sure. And then my phone's going to start blowing up with everybody with questions. And I'm in a good situation in that you know, I got a head football coach that will ask and listen. He, he may not listen 100%, but he's listens a lot more than a lot of them I've worked with. But he's going to want to know the answers as soon as the okay is given. So I just spent a lot of time trying to make sure I have that kind of set up. I have a plan in place on whatever that looks like, whether we have four weeks, whether we don't. That's where the majority of my time recently has been. You know, other than that, just trying to make sure that try and learn as much as I can about programming and our system and making sure that everything we do builds on another one. So we're constantly improving and, and constantly getting our athletes better. What an amazing like segue into this concept of like ignorance versus negligence, right? Like the, the constant need to be very definitive and rapid with an answer or a response to a coach or a administrator of like, what are we doing about this? And a knee jerk, like, boom, boom, boom. I got to say something rapidly. If I don't, it's a sign of weakness, right? Where easily we could fall into a very, like, very, like, precarious situation where we say something dumb or we say something, you know, like, just premature, right? Like, I don't know all the facts, so I, but I need to say something in this moment. And, you know, you've been in that situation probably where if you don't say something, they're like, you know, fuck it, I'll find someone who will, you know? And I think that's just a really good, like, kind of really situation of what we're looking at ignorance and negligence right and the thing that we're trying to get across here is you know it's not this this binary thing it's not black and white it's not like you did this so therefore you're ignorant or you didn't do this so therefore you're negligent there's there's a spectrum here and one of the things that i think is really important to note here is this like first order versus second order consequence and in a first order situation you're doing things mostly in a survival basis right like you know if a coach is threatening to fire me. If I don't say the right thing, I have a choice to make. And if I have a family, if I have a mortgage, if I have things and bills I have to pay, maybe I have to make a decision that I know is not necessarily the best decision, but it's the best in terms of preserving my livelihood. So hopefully down the road, I can talk to that coach and communicate that coach at a higher level, do things at a better, better rate. But everything is always on the spectrum. So with that being said, let's get down to like some sort of like definitions here. Like how would you define ignorance in your setting or just for yourself or someone else who might ask you? To me, ignorance would be not knowing the information may be out there, but I don't know what the information is. I don't, I don't know any better to me. That would be, that would be ignorance. Negligence would be more. I shouldn't know better. I've, I've had the education. I have the experience I've maybe have been in this situation before, but for whatever reason, I chose not to do what I know to be right. And that maybe I was put on the spot and, you know, it just didn't, I had to give an answer in the middle of the staff meeting with all eyes staring at me and I gave the wrong one. And, you know, then I was kind of stuck to it or it may be whatever. But to me, negligence be, I know what we probably should do. I know we probably shouldn't run 16 110s day one coming back. But that's what I do anyway. Mm -hmm. uh, well, it's an interesting thing, too, because at that point, we've been talking about concepts like confirmational bias. Uh, and one of the interesting things about confirmational bias is it's convenient. It's easier. It's more efficient, right? Like, we've done this every year. Mm -hmm. I know it will work. Uh, and I've become very entrenched in that line of thinking. Uh, and to your point of, like, yeah, I probably – without lack of knowing, you know, like I could, or lack of knowing, or not from a lack of looking up other things. It's, I'm going to do this anyway, which in some spectrum, you're like, I accept that there's some sort of like, you know, mild form of negligence here. But the other side of it too is I'm comfortable with that. And if I have to evaluate starting from scratch and doing something completely novel and unique versus doing something that's time tested and proven that I know exactly how it's going to look and format. And I know when it starts to go wrong, what I'm going to do in response to that you know, I, that's got to be part of the equation, right? You know, like that, that mm -hmm. process of looking at that. Uh, so I guess it's, I guess it's, let's go into this, right? Like, cause I don't want to be this like really negative, like 
man, like all you guys don't care and all you guys know better. You know, I want to look at this from the perspective of like, there is a spectrum here. There's like some sort of time and a place. So, you know, let, let's go over some, you know, maybe it was like from an intern perspective or a young coach perspective or an athlete perspective of like, you know, this thought of like, uh, where are some places that, you know, maybe potentially being ignorance because sometimes ignorance is bliss is appropriate. And, you know, when, when can we think about stuff like that? I think as an intern, you know, I think that's where you're probably the most ignorant because you don't really know any better and you're doing what your boss, you know, tells you to do. You're following that program verbatim because when you will make a good impression Two, you know, we ran a lot of 300 yard shows when I was at Arizona State. But back then, that's what you did. Like, nobody knew any better. I, I think House would even tell you now that that may not have been the best thing in the world, but that's that's all we knew. You know, I'm not about to stand up in front of him and be like, well, you know, I think we probably should change. I'm an intern. I'm 22 years old. I just got out of a small school. I mean, this is the biggest place I've ever been. I'm not opening my mouth and saying a word. <laughs> you know, but I didn't know any better. Yeah, I, I didn't know whether we should or shouldn't do that. I think that's probably when you're the most ignorant. Um, I think as you go along, you start to learn better, then it becomes more of a negligent situation where, you know, I know there's something better than 300-yard shuttles, but these have worked. You know, well, we ran five 300-yard shuttles last year and we went to the ACC championship game. I'm scared to death to change because if we don't go to the ACC championship game, it may be because we didn't run 300-yard shuttles. Now, we all know that's not true, but it's still in your mind. And you also still have to sit down with the head football coach at the end of the year and explain why you didn't do that. You know, we were so good last year and we did this, this, and this. Why did you change? You know, and that causes you to be a little more negligent in the situation. You know, I think that's the – those are great examples, Neil, because, uh, you know, being in that situation where you're going into, like, Georgia Tech or our new head coach who – was going to retain us, you know, and honestly, like, you know, we're on a lot of times you're on a like interim basis. Like you're on a temporary, like, Hey, we're going to see if this works, but you're not safe just yet. And, you know, one of the things that I'm really comfortable with is this preseason conditioning test and, and the, the pressure knowing that you're essentially on, you know, borrowed time, uh, that's that weighs on you. Right. So you're going to oh, default yeah. to like, man, we're going to aggressively run 300 yard shuttles. Mm-hmm. I think Coach Yada would agree, like, yeah, this means nothing in terms of playing football. And I, now House, as you mentioned, would say the same thing. Like, like that process, man, like, not easy, right? Like, well, and, You know, in, in that situation, you know, technically, I mean, yes, you know, when Coach Johnson showed up, he was watching. He was always watching, even when we didn't know it. But he was always talking to the players and stuff like that. But that condition test, the first day when you report to camp, that's technically the first time you're really showing him what we as a staff can do. Well, you better knock that theory I'll show test out of the water. And, I, and as I went along with him and got to know him a little better and we had a, some trust build up, ration build up, he didn't want them all to pass. He wanted some of them to struggle and fail and, and things of that. And he wanted it to be bad. And we didn't have to spend all summer running – endless amounts of 300 yard shuttles, you know, but we didn't know that going in. You know, and even if he'd have told Cosiano that he wasn't going to not run them, we had to make sure they did a good job. This is the first time they can kind of see what kind of team we can put out there. And boy, we're going to make sure they knock it out of the park. And, you know, that first year during camp, we had, a, I don't remember how many, but we had several soft tissue, hamstrings, things of that nature, injuries. And, you know, for life of us, we couldn't figure it out. And we start talking about it after, as we go along. And, you know, we weren't doing our show 25 back. It was very quiet dominant. And we were running it all the time. You know, they weren't getting hamstring work. We all knew that. That's elementary stuff. But we were so concerned about making sure we knocked that 300-yard shuttle test out of the ball, out of the park, because we wanted to keep our jobs, that none of us thought, you know, we probably should run some hunting. We probably should get some more, you know, high speed work over 10 yards. We probably should do some different things so that these kids hold up in camp. But, you know, again, we were so worried about one thing. We were negligent because we were too busy looking at this. We didn't even think about that over here. And 
I think we probably set a world record on how many 300 yard shovels he ran in like a summer training period. Uh, I mean, it was, oh it was twice a week we were running. I mean, I think we worked up to 10 in one day, right? Like that was. I, that on was like a Friday, Friday, maybe. Yeah, that sounds about right. It was a lot. <laughs> getting out of hand. Uh, and know, I was the guinea pig for running them. I probably ran more than that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I remember how, like, like that spring before, Sianna was like, we better get out there and run 300. Literally, I think all of us, me, you, Sianna, Jason, like, we were all running 300-yard shuttles. And, like, I, man, I had the worst tendonitis, the worst, like, <sighs> hip pain, back pain. Like, 300-yard shuttles are just probably the most cruel and unusual thing to do to someone. Like, And we had to run for time, too. Like, yeah. come on. <laughs> <laughs> I think I was running like combo times. I'm like, I'm an awful athlete. I am so slow. There's no way I'm making, I had to work extra hard. Um, so, uh, but it kind of makes me think too, of like, you know, you think about down the road. So I worked for coach Munkin at army and, you know, he worked under coach Johnson for years and man, like these guys had really high level success. I mean, these guys were really, really successful, right? Like between Hawaii, Georgia Southern Navy, they went into Notre Dame with Navy and beat Notre Dame. I mean, this is unprecedented stuff, you know, and Navy was awful when they got there. Georgia Southern was awful when they got there. So they come to Georgia Tech and they're like, yeah, this is, we've, we've cracked the code. We, we have created the system. We're going to do match drills in the winter and then we're going to do 300 yard shuttles in the summer and then we're going to win a lot of games. Uh, and like, it's a hard thing to break. And I remember, you know, literally like, I went through the entire winter program with Coach Munkin, and I got a pretty good rapport with him at this point. Like, he's got some trust in me. We, we, we established some, some frameworks of, like, all right, we got a team now going in the right direction from a cultural standpoint, from a developmental standpoint, from, you know, we're getting a little bit more, uh, a little bit more understanding of the roster that we had. And he asked me in, like, April, he's like, hey, we're going to do 300 yard shuttles, you know, as a preseason test, right? And I, I, at that moment, I was like, all right, I've been waiting for that, right? Like, I knew it was coming. Um, and I had a little bit more of a rapport, maybe a little bit more, you know, bravado or confidence. I was feeling my oats, as they say. And I was like, well, you know, if we got him there all summer, coach, like, do we need a conditioning test? And he paused and he looked at me. And I, man, I was just like, in hindsight, like, it's kind of a ballsy thing to do, right? Like, here's a guy for 30 years is like, this has been the the answer right like get guys in preseason and run 300 yard shuttles and as coach Johnson would say create some sort of conflict and some sort of you know impetus to like get people to like all right now engage right that's just an engagement strategy of like hey this is serious now it's preseason camp like you are not in physical shape to be able to do this and we need you there right so start taking this seriously and then me saying like well I got them all summer I got them for seven weeks coach like probably don't need to do a conditioning test. Like every day is our conditioning test, showing up on time, going through our drills, meeting our standards. It's like, well, are we doing conditioning assessments during the training program? Like, yeah, like, can you train every day? Are you meeting these benchmarks? Are you sprinting? Are you going through our conditioning drills the way we want in like a Tuesday, Thursday, or a Tuesday, Friday agility circuit? Or are we training every day throughout the course of the summer? Like, and then we should go into camp. If I'm good at my job, like the conditioning assessment's done. We don't need to waste a day. Uh, and that process too, and like this pause of like, all right, you got one shot at this. If guys start like, I think they're out of shape in camp, you know, like I, I'm going to come back and change this and I might change you. Right. And I extended myself like, oh man, okay. Pressure's on. Uh, and I didn't know what I was taking on because the guys were going to military training and coming back completely detrained. And it was a big risk and actually in hindsight, but, you know, I was confident and I knew what I was going to say when that answer came. I was like, I got it for seven weeks. I'm going to have five sessions a week for seven weeks. I got 35 sessions to get them in shape. Like I'm in a good, I'm in a good spot here, coach. And we have mm -hmm. tough kids that can handle a lot of things. Uh, but you know, that process, right? Like here's that thing of like, we knew 300 yard shuttles are maybe not the best thing to do with the football player. Uh, we knew that it's going to lead to potentially not preparing them adequately enough for, preseason camp based off of just what your example of looking at soft tissue injuries but we still kind of had to do it because our jobs were on the line <laughs> versus now down the road of like maybe have a little more confidence or a little bit more uh, authority or autonomy in what we're doing and and he come back to me and say like hey like all right let, i'll give you a shot here but not really knowing that there's like i'm gonna find someone to get them ready if you don't think this is working out the way i wanted to and we i mean you can look at the same thing too about this concept of uh, fourth, like basically four state or the matrils or 
or what we did in the locker with those guys, right? Like, do we prepare our guys in this like really big period of winter training, which is like usually a period we want to get them strong and want to put lean muscle mass on and not worry about like just getting them into a high like conditioning state so they can do basically an hour of, of just aggressive conditioning, right? Like, you know, at that point, you can go into this conversation too as well, right? Yeah, I mean, when someone Eric leaves, you know, uh, he left January, mid-January, something along those lines. I think Matt drills were first of March. Not really sure, but, you know, the whole conversation with Paul, with Coach Johnson was, I'm going to give you the winner to see if you can do this job. And because, you know, I, when he left, Eric's like, look, you need to go see Paul and tell him you want this job. This is why you can do it. And I did. And he came back a little bit later and, hey, you know, I'm interviewing some people. And the people he interviewed were, I mean, the who's who. So a lot of them are still doing it at some big places. And, but I'll give you until spring ball starts to prove to me whether you can or can't do this job. Well, I mean, what's the first thing he's going to see is Matt drills. Well, my God, we're going to be the best damn team at Matt drills known to man, because that's how I'm going to keep this job that I've been working my whole life for at the time. You know, at the time that was my dream job. And I mean, you know, Jason was with me. We're going to, we're going to be the champions of Matt joy. And I mean, I wish I could remember how much weight the guys lost and how bad our numbers were and all that. It's been so long, but I'm sure we probably did more damage to sports performance than we did good. But by God, we look good at mat drills. <laughs> but that's how I was going to get to keep the job. So, I mean, what am I supposed to do? Walk in and go, well, Coach, we may look like shit in mat drills, but we're going to be ready to play football in August. I wouldn't have been there to see August. You know, that I may not have been, depending on how good or bad it was. And, you know, he walked in after the first day of mat drills, and the kids had done it for two years. A lot of it was their third time through because we were a young team when he got there. They knew what was coming. You know, they were much better at it. But, I mean, we practiced everything from – we spent a whole speed and agility day making sure we got in the proper line and did the warm-up right. You know, and you're talking about we had, what, six weeks before Matt Drill started, maybe four after the time Cosiano left, and we wasted a whole day making sure that that was absolutely perfect because, damn it, it better be. And – you know, he came in that first day and was like, that's probably one of the best days we've ever had. And, boy, I thought I'd won the lottery at that point. <laughs> now, when the season didn't go as well as we wanted, you know, maybe that was because of it. Who knows? But, you know, we were very negligent in that fact. But um, what at the time, you know, a young well, – I was, what, 30-ish? You know, just got a big-time job. <clears throat> there weren't many of them out there. I knew some people that had been in the business for a long time were basically waiting – they were on speed dial. If I f this up, like no, we we're gonna do what helps me get this job, whether it's negligent or not. <laughs> you know, and probably not the best way to handle it. In hindsight, probably would have done it a little bit different, and probably should have had one of those tough conversations with him, like you had with Coach Munkin. But at that time, my career, my plays, I wasn't there. But we're gonna we're gonna knock this out of the park. And you know, if if we suffer in performance, we'll worry about that later. We'll make it in the summertime. You know. You know, you can almost say, like, my conversation with Coach Monk, it was being completely ignorant to potentially the risk I was putting myself at, you know. And uh, But and is your, you know, in your, your 100%, it may have been, you know, lucky Coach Monk is a good dude. And he, I think he trusted you and trusted your pedigree and things of that nature. And or you probably wouldn't have had the job in the first place. You know, he, he trusted who he hired. But, you know, so is it better to be – basically maybe negligent for your future to not be, or to be ignorant to your future, to not be negligent to your athletes? You know, uh, I'd come back and say on that, like, you know, you mentioned it too, like there's how many division one head football strength coaches jobs, like 135 and yeah. how many people, how many power five? Yeah. How many people want that job? You know, like, and we just come off the orange bowl. I mean, that, you know, like with with uh, quarterbacks coming back, you know, I mean, a lot of people come. I mean, a lot, I think we had two first rounders that left, but I mean, there are a lot of people coming back. Like, you know, there are a lot of people wanted that job. Yeah, yeah, and I, honestly, like the risk involved in that is is tremendous, right? Like, there's, you know, you, you make one bad choice or you make one bad decision, man. Like the, the consequences of that are like are incredible, uh, and. I don't think a lot of people weigh that decision, right? Like, you know, a double A, you know, used to say to me when I was trying to like, you know, climb the ladder as well, like, 
you know, there's only 135 of these jobs out there, you know, and so it's going to take some time. And when you do get it, you better be really good and you better be really locked into every decision that you're making, you know, and you know, the, the process, I think as a young coach, right. Is it's so amplified, like you're an intern, you're a GA, you're an assistant, and you're just working 60, 70, 80 hours a week, 52 weeks a year. Like you just, you get tunnel vision and you go, okay, like I, I can do that job better than that person in front of me, or man, I would do it differently. And then you get there and then you're like, you can become paralyzed with, with absolute fear of losing that because how hard you had to work to get that and how much sacrifice you had to do to get to that point. You know, and, yeah. and your decisions like, man, like I, I'm going to make some negligent decisions here because quite frankly, I don't want to lose this or, mm-hmm. you know, you can completely be on the other end of the spectrum. Like, well, you know, screw it. Like I, I'm going to go for it and I'm going to do it the way I want to see. And if I lose it because of that, then I'd rather go down swinging or maybe I just had no idea the risk involved, you know? You know, I think we were, we were probably drove Siano to, to drink because we'd sit in office and throw crap out all the time. And we all be doing this, we all be doing that. And he was the king of saying no, or, you know, maybe give us a little bit and, and all that. And I think I was complaining one day to Mark Uyama, who I was with, that he was the GA or assistant at Arizona State when I was there. <clears throat> I haven't told him forever, but, and I was complaining about something one day and he was at Utah State at the time. And he was like, look, do this. Every time that you think you guys should do something, you're not doing it, write it down. And then when you're the, the person in charge, you'll have all that information there to change. And this was the summer before, you know, Seattle had left. We went through the whole season. I had the big yellow pads. I had like three or four pages of stuff down that I had just written down that I kept kind of hidden. And, you know, he leaves and, you know, things go on down the road or whatever. And I guess, you know, I called Mark to tell him that I'd gotten the job, you know, so I'd been in kind of charge six, eight weeks maybe. And he's like, did you ever make that list? I was like, yeah, I made that list. He goes, how many things did you change? I like three. So you tell me out of four or five pay, I don't know, you know how much stuff it really was. I wish I'd kept it. You know, you changed three things. I go, yeah, yeah. Now I understand why we didn't do that. Or, you know, for lack of a better word, I don't have the balls to change that. <laughs> you know, because I know this is going to work. I don't have the balls to to change that. Mm-hmm. You know, and, you know, until you sit down in that chair, it's really easy when you, when you don't have to go in that staff meeting and you don't have to sit down with the big fella. And, you know, if the big fella, if the head guy gets fired, you may get to stay. You know, so it's really easy to throw stuff out there. But when it's your ass on the line and you're the one having to take all the bullets, it's amazing how things change and how you think differently. Yeah, yeah. It's getting the game, man. You know, like if, you know, anybody can armchair quarterback it or sit in the sideline talk about what they would do in that situation and until you're actually in the game, man, like it goes fast and it comes at you hard. And, you know, these little passing conversations and these like little territorial things of like a walking by, like, hey, what's such, such and such as body weight and you're the director? They're asking you, are you doing your job, you know, directly? And then that, that has consequences and that has like a, a ripple effect of maybe be the demise of your job. Um, yeah. You know, and like uh, I work with a guy at USC named Tim Ojeda, uh, and and he'd always be like, "How do you memorize everyone's body weights?" I'm like, "I don't know everyone's body weights by heart. I just say something fast and aggressive that's in the range, and I learned it at Georgia Tech. Like, you know, like I like yeah, 327. Like, oh, good, all right, cool. Because like you know, you work with like very dominant personalities. Like they're constantly testing you, man. Like they are not like." There's so, no such thing as a very simple, like, linear, binary question. It's a loaded question no. every time. Oh, I, I used to carry the body weights around. I had uh, I had the most recent body weights somewhere on my person 24-7 Georgia Tech because, yeah, all the time. It may be Johnson. It may be the line coach. It may be the athletic director. Hey, what is Marcus right weight? Why do you care? But, uh, you know, and you better not say, oh, and you better not say 185 when the kid's 175. Like, don't. Don't do that, you know. So yeah, I had them. I just kept them with me all the time, and I probably did have them memorized. To be honest, at that point, I'd seen them so much and spent so much time worrying about them. I probably did have them memorized. When I left, I didn't take a body weight or step on the scale for probably three years, <laughs> just because of it. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So- I had actually had uh, I had the line coach call. You know, we weren't married at the time. We were on vacation. I was at Charleston, sitting on the beach. Seawall calls. Hey, man. What 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 is what is Uzi way? 
I don't know. I'm about halfway through a bottle of Jack Daniels. Right? I don't know what he weighed. Uh, 305. Why the hell is he not 303 right now? I couldn't tell you that either, Coach. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I had to talk to him, Coach. We already talked about it. Yeah, he, we yeah. told him he needs to be 303. Here's our plan. We're going to help him uh, lose a little bit of weight over the weekend, and we'll be fine. We're going to put him on the call up Monday morning, let him take a good dog. Here we go. Everything will be good to go. Yeah. We're on it, Coach. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, uh, let's go through the other aspect of this, you know, and we, we don't need to stay in college strength conditioning. Uh, you know, we can go private. We can go some of the stuff potentially we've seen in the military sector. You know, what are some things that, like, some ignorant decisions that we've seen that, like, actually have some bad consequences? Yeah, I mean – yeah, I may get in trouble. I don't know who's gonna who's gonna listen to this, but some of the stuff in the military probably not I mean, people, Neil. So you're good, man. <laughs> as long as it doesn't get up the chain, I get you know, some of the military stuff. It was ignorance, negligence, I mean every single day. You know, very much a very much an atmosphere of next person up, even more so than college football. I mean, college football is very much a next round, get the next guy ready if something happens, because it happens every day. Even more so. I mean you know, we're going to do this because this is what we've always done. And we're going to do this because I, I just plain want to do this. And I have no education whatsoever, but we're going to put on a 55-pound ruck. We're going to ruck through the Florida heat at 3 o'clock in the afternoon for 25 miles because I want to. And I don't care if nobody makes it. You know, they shouldn't be such pussies. And away we go. You know, and it's like, whoa, 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 you know. And then they come back, well, why, you know, I had 15 people do it. Why did 10 of them not make it? Well, I mean, really? Do, you, do I even need to answer that? They're not in good enough condition. It doesn't matter what I do. They're not going to be in good enough condition for that. You know, but it, it was almost an everyday thing there as far as just negligent behavior. And not, you know, by command, yes. And, but also by, by the people there, too. I mean, you're talking about people that have been trained – and at that point, because of kind of where we were in the world, plenty of them had been, you know, kicking down doors and grabbing people and had been in some pretty bad situations that none of us can. I mean, they've lived the Call of Duty game. And, you know, you, you tend to get a God complex and think you're bulletproof when you've been through that. I can only imagine. <laughs> and some of the things they would do when then come in and try to do this or that, it was insane that they would even think about doing those type of things. They were almost – ignorant and negligent with their own bodies just because they thought they, there was no way they could be hurt. I mean, you know, I've been shot three times. And, you know, this ain't going to kill me. Let's go. Whoa, buddy. <laughs> Not a good idea. I don't care. Yeah, you, you – you, I, I think it's – I think it's another situation, too, until you're actually, like, in that environment. You know, it's really easy from afar to go, that's just stupid. Like, why would they do that? You know, but there's things, like, right? Like, there's – chain of command there's there's respect of your leaders right and then there's this other aspect of like man if i like don't give my all today like you realize like it potentially might have consequences of people's lives at stake and that's we, a hard thing to process you know we we got that a lot you know and the, the same guy with the hire me my bike ride or uh ruck and all that you know it's like well, you know, my first tour in Afghanistan, we got stuck, and it was 125 degrees, and my dog's going crazy. And we had to go 55 miles. I don't even remember all the aspects, but it's like, like, I get it. I understand, but, you know, you can't prepare for that. Yeah. You can't prepare for that at all. Yeah. Uh, you know, when I, when I think about, like, my time with the military as well, like, you know, that, you can – you can develop a lot of empathy for like what you think is like stupid. Right. And, you know, everything starts to take a little of balancing effect. Like the pendulum was swing the other way of like being hypercritical to like, Oh yeah, I guess I can see that. And then you realize too, like, damn, like the amount of dumb stuff I've done training wise and the amount of stupid things I like the learning and trial and error process too. of like, like I get it, man. Like, you know, like I, we've done like dumb protocols or dumb exercises or maxed out on things that were just, yeah, let's do that right now. Like, you know, and like, I, I think that process too, of like knowing like, man, like, you know, things that potentially you're saying are negligent or ignorant, like, you know, you've done yourself and you've come to that conclusion after the fact. 
and hopefully at a certain point, like because you went through that like trial by fire and you went through these decisions of learning, you know, really the hard way, you know, you have a, a platform to say, hey, I made those mistakes, so you don't have to, you know, and you know, and whether they view you that in that light really is largely determined by how well you can like conduct yourself in a professional setting in a professional manner or like how much command or how much confidence you have. But like, you know, that process looking at them, like, you know, it takes a lot to go. Yeah. You know, like I, I can see that as dumb only because I've done it myself, you know, and it's different than I can see it as dumb because, you know, I can only look at things in terms of like, you know, hypothetical because I've never done it myself or I've never experienced it myself. And, you know, having that, that process there. The situation with the military was definitely one of those, like, you know, college sports, high school sports, you know, I can tell kid, hey, this is stupid. I did something way dumber than this though, and this is what happened. Because that's been the majority of my life has been either sports or sports performance or things of that nature. I've never put a 55 pound backpack on my back and gone very far. Like that just doesn't sound like a good idea ever. You know, I haven't done it. So technically I, you know, I can't say, well, you know, I did this three weeks ago and did 10 miles and whatever, whatever, you know, and they knew that. So that calls, you know, some things there where you're just sitting there going, Hey, this is just not smart. Well, I've never done it. And they knew that, you know, and then some is the relationship just being built up so that you have enough, you have a good enough relationship with that individual to be like, Hey, I think this is bad. And this is why. And that person to trust you and be like, okay, well maybe we can do whatever. And Hey, look, this is not the greatest idea, but let's move it to 6am when it's only 85 degrees instead of a hundred. And, you know, and maybe get things that are a little bit better off, but you know, the military situation, everything changed so much, so fast. I mean, it was a different person. It seemed like every six months, there's no way to build a relationship there. You know, we could take some time here now too, like working in, you know, a high school setting, which, you know, is different than college and different than professional, or maybe a little bit actually more similar to professional because, you know, a lot of your student athletes probably have, especially some of the schools you work, work at, worked with in the past five years, have enough resources to be able to go and get private training, you know, mm -hmm. and, you know, are you seeing like anything in terms of like, man, that's just reckless. That's just dumb. Like, and it's not like you being protective of your program. It's just like, I just have your best interest at heart here. Yeah. I mean, it happens all the time. Um, especially the place I'm at now, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot of money to go to, to go to love it. And a lot of our kids have, their families are very well off. They're very powerful lawyers and own big businesses. And I mean, we got a kid that works at family runs Coke. I mean, we, you know, there's some big time people that go there and, a lot of them would do anything for their child to be successful. They would spare no expense for their son or daughter to get a scholarship to play whatever sport at whatever big time school. I mean, they would do it all. And I mean, we've had kids with a DB coach, a personal trainer, a speed coach, and then he was still coming in and doing our summer workouts and doing the seven on seven stuff they had to do. And, then he may have to go to basketball practice because he plays basketball too. And it's insane. You know, uh, Fred Eves at a private high school in Tennessee, he calls it child abuse. What some of these kids are forced to do in the summertime. And, and he's hundred percent right. I mean, it's, it's nuts. We had a, we had a kid. He's actually a corner at Columbia now. Great kid, great athlete. He was a football track kid. He came in one day, it's, I don't know, 5.30 on a Thursday, maybe even 6 o'clock. He had just gotten done with track practice. He ran the 100. So I don't know what they did that day, but probably tons of sprints. And he comes in and he wants to lift. And so in the course of getting him, you know, set up to get us started, he mentioned that he only had 45 minutes because he had to be across town to work with his DB coach that had played DB in the NFL or something along those lines. And he had to do that. I'm like, and then they had a track meet the next day. I go to get out, go. If you're going to do that, there's no sense in lifting. You know, leave. And I mean, I can't believe you're going to keep me out of here. His parents actually sent me an email that night about the fact that I told him he shouldn't train and that I'm just trying to hold him back. And, you know, it's a shame that a kid that wants to work hard is not being allowed to do so. And da, da, da. so in the end, you know, he did a little bit. We didn't do much. And I finally got him out the door pulls his hamstring in the track meet the next day running 100. 
it's like, now, is that because of all that? I don't, I can't prove that, but you know, most likely, yes. And we can only do so much, but that's the response you get. You know, I'm just a terrible person because I'm trying to do what's best for your kid. And Hey, at this point, I can't stop track practice. I can't stop you from going to your DB coach or your speed coach, or your personal trainer. So the only thing I can do is just limit what we do, what you do with me. And in that situation, it's easy because it's just me and him. It was late, in the, you know, in a late April. There wasn't nobody in the way at that time. Um, so it's just me and him, so it's easy. But, you know, when you got a room full of athletes and, you know, I'm going to take our superstar receiver and let him do less because I know he's going to basketball practice and then he's going to go throw with some receiver guy and then he's going to go to his speed coach later that day. Well, now why is, why is Tim getting special treatment? I'm not just because he's the best player. Well, no, he's getting special treatment because I know what he's about to go do. You know, you can't do that then. So you kind of have to figure out how to work it all in and get it all taken care of. And I mean, it's a, it's a delicate balance. It takes a lot of getting to know the kid and getting to know their parents and, you know, building up some trust there where you buy, Hey, look, I get what you want to do, but can we do it maybe this day and this day? Because, you know, Monday we're, Monday we're going to squat heavy. So can we not go to the DB coach or the speed coach on Monday? Can you go on Tuesday or, you know, Wednesday's a day off. It may not be ideal, but it's probably a better day than you going after we just ran, we just did a whole large conditioning session or whatever the case may be. Um, but we get it a lot. You know, I just thought about three really interesting track and field stories and, and my experience with them. But like, you know, that, that right there, like, you know, you had a choice in that, that moment to go, like, I can be rigid here and I know it's not in the best interest of the, the kid. Uh, but it's not my problem that he's doing all this other stuff and I can make him do this program, you know, even at the expense of his safety, his performance, uh, you know, it's just going to have residual impacts. that's going to basically make him disenfranchised with everything. Like the kid's going to burn out, you know, how if or when, but he will, you know, and you know, like it's always tough, man. Cause it's like, we're proud of our program. Like you spend time, you invested into like researching and putting that program together and then to be met with like, just everything that, you know, young person's going through, like, oh, man, but there's, a, there's another time and a place, you know, like, I, you know, one of the stories I, I'm thinking about is like when I was at USC, we had a lot of like high level track athletes who played in the football program. Like these guys were good, man. They could compete the Pac-12 and the national level. Uh, but a lot of the guys like, man, it's just easier than winter workouts, you know, and, mm-hmm. you know, like, it's a lot more leisure, uh, or at least at the time with the track and field program, because uh, it was like if you could go out there and perform and get points, man, like you're good, you know. And like, I think guys really appreciated that, you know. And like, I, if one, like I'm, you know, hindsight too. Like I look back at my time at USC, and um, it was kind of my role, but like I took on a role that you had very similar at Georgia Tech of like being the hammer, you know. And you know, I got to be the one that you know instills like discipline and accountability because just you know that was my job you know i had mm-hmm. sense the bad guy um which you know with those guys you go to track field practice and you see like oh man they blew it off today well like you know he's okay man he, he actually got you know he, he came in second in uh and in tri- triple jump on saturday like he needs a little bit of rest like yeah but it doesn't change the fact that he needs to play 12 games for us in the fall and mm-hmm. develop them you know so you call him up like get, get down here man like we're going to go through a lift. This isn't an off day for you. Like back, like, you know, actually I'm going to hold you accountable. If you don't get in here tonight, I'm going to get you in tomorrow at 6am. And like, you know, just this constant thing. And, you know, we had some, you know, some guys who really wanted to work, you know, really wanted to work out and like push to go to track practice and they, you know, bust their ass. They go do a great job out there. And then like, they'll be down there in the weight room and, you know, they do a great job down there. And like, all right, like there's one end of that, you know, and then flash forward to my time in army where it's like this workload at army is just like I mean, what you're talking about right there. It's like just absurd. And you know, we had a kid who, man, like one of the most gifted athletes like we've ever had there. And one of the most gifted athletes I've ever seen in my life. Like, I mean, the guy was a 4.0 student at West Point, which is damn near impossible. Mm-hmm. Um, he was 
coming in a like three-star football player, which he probably should actually have been ranked higher. And then he was a national championship wrestler and a national championship uh, discus and hammer. Um, so he was a really high level athlete and, you know, the track and field coach is like, yeah, man, like we need this guy on our team to like throw, like, I don't care if he even comes to practice, just get him out there throwing. But if you go, if you know anything about track and field and throwing events in, in college, like going from a 12 to a 16 pound shot, you know, that's a big difference, you know, and people struggle with that. And there's a long time to learn the technique and there's a lot of vested effort and you know, mass moves mass. So a lot of these, like his counterparts, you know, they're putting on a ton of weight, but he's playing outside linebacker for us. And, you know, we can't just gain weight, like there's no, like no ability to change direction or run or whatever. So like, you know, we had to make a lot of concessions. And I remember he would be at track practice, you know, going through and I'd get the whole inventory and the track field coach was fantastic of like getting me how much plyos were doing, how many throws they were doing, like the sprint work they were doing. Like, great. So one less thing I got to do. Then you get them in the weight room though. You're like, Hey, I'll cover the weight room stuff. Like, no, I, I can't have him doing a thrower type program because I don't trust it's going to be to the level of what I want. But I trust he's going to do a really good job in the sprint stuff and the pile stuff and the throwing stuff. Like you, I, I have complete confidence you're going to do a great job in that area. Let me take the lifting side. But our lifting program, relative to his experience and his ability, was so remedial and so basic because I know how hard he was getting hit. And, you know, like, you know, I remember the coach calling me, man, like they were on spring break and he's been going straight through. He played as a full freshman and he's in that first semester of like that, that winter program for a freshman. That's really hard. Like now it's like, this is now like starting to creep in their mind that like, this is a 52 week now process and there's no downtime. And just like, you may get a week to debrief and they just go crazy at spring break. And that in effect, like, you know, helps them like recharge a little bit um, and push through to get through spring ball and finals and whatnot, but he didn't have that. He's going to track and field and competing in spring break and actually in California. And the, the thrower's coach calls me. He's like, man, I don't know what's going on. Like, he's never like this. He's just so down. It's like, he's burnt out. But the kid's just flat out burnt out. You know, and like why I was so conservative in the weight room because I knew it was coming. I didn't know if, I didn't know when, but burnout is going to lead to injury. You know, there's no doubt about it. And it, when you have like this this high standard thing where he's competing for a starting job and he's competing at a high level in the division one setting mixed with not being like emotionally or physically prepared, you know, the difference is going to lead to injury and you have to manage that and see that. And I have to make a choice like, nah, man, I got a pretty intensive program. Like my programs are hard and my programs are really challenging. I look at maximal intended benefit over minimal effective dose. But in that circumstance, just like you had to make with a decision for that kid, even if you knew there was going to be a consequence of mom and dad calling you, like, shoot, your football coach can call you. Like, I don't care, man. Like, that's his prerogative. He's doing all this other stuff. Like, that is not our problem. We need to have a standard on our program that we come first. Like, he could easily say that, and you chose to make that decision for the best interests of the athlete, even at the expense of, like, maybe not losing your job, but just dealing with the email and the consequences of that. You know, like, that's time. And that sucks. Um, I, I think it's an amazing example, man. Uh, you know, we, in high school today, if you're a multi-sport kid, it's almost, you know, especially if the family has means, it's insane what what all these kids do. And we have a, we had a running back linebacker. It's a pitcher. He's probably better at baseball than he is at, than he is at football. And, you know, we're late into the season and he's destroying his numbers on squat and clean. I mean, he's killing them. And he's not playing a ton, but he's playing a good bit, but he's just killing them. He's like, I just don't, I don't get it. I work so hard all spring and all summer long and, and I get nothing. And now all of a sudden, like everything's just going through the roof and we're, you know, we're only lifting three days a week and you know, Saturday's really not that much because after a game and finally, buddy, look, you played baseball. You played travel baseball while the regular baseball season was going on. You, we're riding the summer workouts, playing in two different travel teams. You were gone all the time. You would lift and then go play three or four baseball games. And baseball is not the hardest sport by any stretch of imagination, but it's still time on feet and time in the sun. Like you're probably fresher right now. week nine of the football season. than you were from March to probably all July 25th when football started because you were doing so much other stuff that and this is probably as fresh as you're going to be. That's why you're stronger. Yeah, we're doing way less. 
but so are you, you know, you're, you're not doing all this other stuff and you know, it all, it all takes a toll, you know, and I, I don't remember where I heard it somewhere as far as preparing guys for college football or something like that. But you know, everybody's the high, you gotta get the high speed yardage. You gotta get the total over yardage. You gotta get all this right. You gotta get time on feet too. Like, I mean, we've all stood at football practice before and the first week of practice, your back's killing you. And all we're doing is standing there and swinging a whistle. You know, like, back's killing you because you're standing up in the sun and you haven't been doing that. Back's killing you. Now, imagine the fact you're actually practicing. But, you know, you're standing in the outfield somewhere in the Georgia summer from 12 noon to 5 o'clock playing more than how many baseball games. You may not be moving very far, but that's still – you're doing it day after day after day after day. That's taking a lot out of you. And, you know, that's not what's best for you. I understand why you're doing it and why you feel like you have to do it and, and all this and that. But it's taking a ton out of you. And that's why it's got to suffer somewhere. You know what? Well, let's get into some practical stuff uh, in terms of, like, how do we fix this problem? Like, let's start off with ignorance. Like, what would you say are some of the things that we can do to help, like, help avoid making ignorant choices you know one is just you know making sure you're you know you're reading you're learning you're doing what you need to do to to know as much as the information is out there's so much information out there and especially in the strength conditioning industry it's you know it could be on completely different ends of the spectrum depending on what you read and who you listen to and who you believe in but just making sure you're as educated as you can be and you continue to be educated like just because I've gotten to a certain level doesn't mean I can stop looking at this or listening to that or, or reading this. You know, there's so much information out there and, uh, you know, a lot of it doesn't cost you a whole lot either. It's just the time to do it. And, you know, having conversations with, you know, the philosophy you believe, having conversations with people that think like you or maybe slightly off than that, you know, to try to learn as much as you can so that, you know, when presented with a situation, you have as much knowledge as you can to make the best decision. And then, you know, on the negative part, I think a lot of negligent decisions, especially in, in the sports performance setting is, you know, saying what you think that person or that coach or that client wants to hear. And it kind of backs you into a situation that you can't get out of, you know what I mean? You know, even in the private sector, which you know way better about than I do, hey, you, you got to make money, keep the doors open, keep the lights on. And members is money. And that's not the best way to put it, the best way to say it. But, you know, you got to do it. Sometimes you may say something that may not be right. And you know it's not right because you know that's what the member wants to hear. And, you know, do what you got to do to keep them in the door. And his finances – you know, go down or things get worse, you're more willing to take more chances than when everything's going good. And, you know, the same thing, you know, two years down the road, after I've been with Paul as the head strength coach for a couple of years, you know, we didn't spend as much time on morning runs, you know, bring it back to something we talked about earlier. We didn't spend much time on theory our shuttles because, you know, now, you can be fired at any point in time for any reason. But we had, we had a little better relationship. I'd worked with him for a while. You know, we had, we'd been successful, you know, we'd been in shape. We had done well. And also the kids knew what was going on even more. We'd done it more and more and more. They got better at it just from doing it. I didn't have to spend it. I wasn't as worried about it. You know, but I'd, I'd been around, I'd kind of been, I guess, established is the best word with him, you know? So I was a little less negligent. I, you know, did things a little more the way I, I felt like they should be done. And even looking back, we did some things that were stupid. But at the time, that's that's what we knew. Um, you know, so I think that has a lot to do with, with the decisions you make and why you do some of the things you do. I think we put ourselves in holes a lot just trying to impress the person above us. Yeah, you know, how you fix that, you know. In the collegiate setting, even starting to get in the high school setting, you know, the head coach has a lot of power. And you, you have to make that man happy. And until you know, you don't you don't report to one single individual that, you know, maybe a little biased as far as what's going on, you know, I don't know how much of it's really gonna change, you know. Um 
feel like AD may be able to look out as the whole landscape and understand why you made a decision that you made. Hey, football coach, you worry about Friday night or Saturday afternoon or Sunday, whatever level you're at. And that's all they see. And, and you know, for good reason. That's that's how they make their livelihood, too. And until some of those things start changing, you know, always going to be kind of put in a position where, you know, what you should do and what you may do are two completely different things. Seems, uh, it seems like it's going to take an awful lot of time in educating mm-hmm. yourself and accumulating experience. But you said a really – a really uh, cool thing from Coach Uyama that if you don't like something, write it down, you know, but I think the same thing as a head coach too, of like, if you don't like it and you don't have the ability to change it based off of circumstance, write it down, you know, and, yeah. you know, and that, that kind of goes into this whole debriefing thing of like a postmortem, so to speak, where you come back and effectively say like, when faced with a similar problem, how would I approach that differently? You know, because I think we all know when a decision you make is like not what you wanted, right? Like it was, I mean, either ignorant, like, oh, why did that happen? Like, well, I didn't know enough. Or if it was negligent, like, oh, I knew enough. I just couldn't do it the way I wanted to do it. You know, like that, what you just described of like, write it down. And the reason why you could probably cite these things so well is probably because you're just so familiar with it. And that, that afterward of like, just reflecting on that and like, you know, this, this is not like a script, like this is in your, this is embedded in your memory and you're not going to make that same mistake twice, which Mm -hmm. we fix that, you know, and unfortunately it's going to come down to time and patience of like experience and knowledge and just accumulating more and more and more, but building upon failure and learning from that and then positioning yourself to never make that mistake again for not only the best interest of you and your career, but the best interest of the person you're working with and servicing them. Yeah, and I think, I mean, you know, I think if you're doing your due diligence and you're spending time trying to get better at your profession, you know, if we go back and look at some of the stuff we did at Georgia Tech, it's like, what the hell are we thinking? But even, you know, you push it on further down. If if I go back and look at, you know, some of the stuff we did last year at Love, it's like, well, I don't know what I was thinking when I did that. But at the time, you know, that's, I'm not going to put some out there that I don't think is the best. I'm not going to, you know, every time you sit down to get your plan ready for the off season or for the summer, for whatever you're, for the season, whatever you're doing, you know, I'm not going to hit print and pass it out if I don't think it's the best thing that we could possibly do for the place we're at and the stage we're at at this very moment. You know, but if you're doing a good job of continuing to learn, you should look back at them and be like, oh, yeah, we probably shouldn't have done that. <laughs> I know better now. I guess we could say that's a, like a really big growth mindset, you know, as you, know, you look at like everything is a work in progress. Everything is an wow. unfinished product. You know? um, so, um, you know, Neil, I just kind of want, you know, take this, take this uh, home here. Uh, you know, if, you know, a person's gone through the full hour of listening to this, like, what is like the the one key or two key messages you think they should take home with them and you know like it, that you really wish that they go ahead and like even just think about and debrief of after afterwards from this whole conversation i think one is you know to really it's it's as much of our job as showing up every morning and setting up the weight room and getting the athletes through is making sure that we're educating ourselves and knowing as much as we can to be the best we can for the situation we're at. And uh, two would be, you know, to say have balls is not the best way to put it. But, you know, when put in a situation, you know, give the answer that's best for the, for the athlete or for the person you're working with, not the answer that may be best for yourself. You know, like kind of like what you did with Coach with Coach uh, Monk and, you know, things of that nature. In the end, I think if you do what's best for the athlete or for the client or for whoever it is you're working with, if you do that more times than not, you're going to land on the right side of things. It may There may be times where it costs you. There may be times where you're having to rob Peter to pay Paul to pay the power bill to keep the gym open. You, you may get your – Asked you by a parent or by a head coach, and, and you may get fired. That's pretty. That's a pretty bad one. But you know, 
I think if you do that more times than not, you'll be successful, you know, and you'll, you'll have a good program and things are going the right direction. And when you sit back over time, you'll be, you'll be a little proud of what you did. And the other one is, you know, don't, if you did what you thought was best, don't beat yourself up about it. When you go back and look and like, yeah, I shouldn't have done that. You know, if you did what was best at the time, that's what was best. That's what you knew. And that's not a bad thing. Awesome, man. Well, I, I just, thank you. Uh, that was. Oh, thanks for having me. Yeah, that was awesome, man. Um, you know, as I look, obviously this stuff is really personal to you and I, because we experienced a lot of it firsthand and, you know, we've reflected on this stuff ourselves of like we've been on these like multiple levels of like working up and and then after the fact of like talking about like oh man like I could have done that differently or I could have done that better or or man I, I keep doing the same damn thing because I just I know it will work you know like I, all this stuff like for both of us is obviously like really personal and very like very connected in, in a lot of these conversations but I, I man it was just some really cool things in terms of like being transparent and going over like you know what what has worked for you as well as like you know there's there's a level of like you said i've been doing this for 20 years like that doesn't happen on accident and i think you got to grow a lot from year one to year 20 if not you're not going to make it past year one uh and whatever capacity it is and you look at now your resume it's it's very like it's very diverse it's very comprehensive and it's and it's, it, it obviously shows like your willingness to adapt to your environment as well as learn from your mistakes. And uh, maybe you have a lot more confidence in not making ignorant decisions or not making negligent decisions. Uh, but it's, it was just amazing. Um, so again, thank you, man. I really appreciate your time. And I think there's a lot of really cool take homes from this. I appreciate you having me on. It's, it's an honor to be on these anytime and especially talk to you. All right.